Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease uh, wrapping up 2020, which I think we're all excited about in lots of different ways with the Surf and Sales podcast brought to you for the month of December by Gong Lead 411 and Vidyard, who we're always appreciative of their support to the sales community. So please, if you need those tools and need to convert more, we know that each of those will absolutely help. Um, but on to the very important piece is our guest today and Jackie it's Jackie Hermes Hermes or Hermes you tell me Jackie oh. it's different it's fine <laughs> yeah. uh with a celity is that right Excelity, yeah so so before we jump into like story 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 what is a celity give people context of what it is so that they understand where you're coming from as, as we talk about things today yeah, so Excelity works with B2B SaaS companies, free revenue, fundraising up to usually about $30, $40 million. It depends more what their marketing department looks like, but we work with very the more fast-paced companies, which is really fun. A lot of them are either VC-backed, private equity-owned, and they're looking to grow faster. I'm trying not to speak. I'm trying not to speak when I'm on mute. <laughs> Because, you know, Scott loves to pull that on me. So, um, but what does that mean? Like, so I'm, I'm pre-seed before funding, you know, what does that mean? And like, Richard is, Richard is anti-buzzword. So you've got to, you yeah. got to clarify for him. Are those buzzwords? I would argue that they define a certain category of companies, but let's not get into it. Uh, so really, we've helped a lot of companies launch from scratch. Uh, for example, my daughter's old basketball coach uh, said that he was starting a SaaS company, just a very random run in. And he had been thinking about this for a while. And we started meeting and talking about what does it look like to grow an audience from scratch um, as both a person and a company? And how can you gain an audience in order to sell? to your target market, et cetera. So those are the things that we help our clients do. It's marketing consulting, but then most of the time our clients don't have the resources to do the work too. So we're in there in their systems, getting them set up and doing a lot of the physical work as well. Now, <clears throat> you, you've been at this for a long time on, on yeah. your for almost eight years now. Is that right? Crazy. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah. The longest I've ever kept a job. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's probably the best boss you've ever had. Uh, it's the, being self-employed is definitely nice. I like it. I can't see myself ever not being self-employed, actually. I, so the question I want to ask you is, is as you head into the new year, how do you set the course as an entrepreneur? You've been through a few cycles, probably in, in, in eight years and ups and downs. And this year was, you know, chaos for everyone. I'm sure you had to make adjustments on the way. What I want to know is how are you forecasting and predicting 2021? What the heck is it going to look like? What are you going to do? What are you not going to do? This is the question that um, you know I'm getting all the time, mm -hmm. not for me, but from from clients of mine and whatnot. So I'm curious how you you think about that and how you're setting that course for your clients and for yourself. Yeah, with our clients, I would say most of them are being a little more conservative than. I think the nature of me as a leader, I like to take the big risks and swing big and all that good stuff. 
So I'll talk about that. Uh, but our clients, a lot of our clients are selling into older industries like insurance, banking and finance, healthcare. And so not only do they have enterprise, so large sale or large deal sizes, but they also have long sales cycles and they have buyers that are moving a little bit slower right now. So uh, luckily most of our clients did not take the like foot off the gas marketing pedal, if you will, some more um, <laughs> slang for you there um, this year. But we're really, I mean, we're continuing to pretty aggressively market our clients. Um, when COVID started, we did scale back when all the companies were saying, you know, like it's insensitive to continue selling and marketing the way that you still are. Um, but we got back to it, I would say pretty quickly and we're trying to keep their pipelines full. Um, that said, I think most of them are setting pretty conservative revenue goals for next year, where our revenue goal is not conservative at all. We're looking to nearly double the company again next year. And because I'm pretty confident we'll be able to do it because we were able to recover so quickly from everything that happened during COVID. I was pretty transparent about how we lost 40% of our revenue during March and April, I want to say, um, when the pandemic hit because buyers were scared and we're working with lots of companies that are just getting started that were kind of pulling back all of their budgets. Um, we were lucky to get a number of those clients back after they got a little less scared and really continue selling throughout the entire year. Uh, we didn't hit our original very aggressive revenue goal for 2020, but we came pretty close. And we're also looking at diversifying our revenue streams for next year as well. As you what look, are, what do you go ahead, go ahead, Scott? Oh. What are you seeing? You know, as people are being cautious moving into 2021, what are you seeing from them? What are the what are the cautious people doing, and what are the aggressive people doing? Mm -hmm. I would say our most cautious clients and my most cautious connections are scaling back their budgets a little bit. Um, they're trying to bring more in-house and pay a little bit less for it. I think oftentimes bringing in-house, there's a larger learning curve and it takes a little bit more time. Um, but, you know, if it's a little bit cheaper and they can get to what they see as similar results, I think that is what a lot of companies are doing. We've gotten news from our clients that a number of them are not leaving, but they are scaling back their budgets a little bit as we go into 2020. And there's been this theme that I guess I should have seen coming, but I didn't in that they're all saying, okay, we have to reduce our budget a little bit, but we hope to be back to normal after Q1. I think everyone's just kind of like tiptoeing into the new year very gently. Um, that said, some of our most aggressive clients, like the company I was telling you about from my daughter's old basketball coach, that company is called Least Crunch and they sell to CPA firms they're raising their budget. They're like, okay, this lease standard is finally gonna get adapted this year to be increasing our budget. So I, that's what I see the most aggressive companies doing. Do you think that those aggressive companies see the, that the economy is going to turn or do you think it's also industry related? Like some of my clients, like it's kind of, kind of does make sense for them to chill a little bit and see what's happening versus these others that are selling into a more corporate accounting type situation. Mm -hmm. There are some industries that companies are always going to need services from like accounting. You know, we need our accountants, we need our lawyers, we need our health insurance, we need to go to the doctor. Um, we have tried to make our business fairly recession proof, especially after we saw what happened with COVID. We were like, oh, okay, maybe we should start focusing a little bit harder on some of these industries we're already working on. So I definitely do think it's industry related. And frankly, we're not like 
you know, like, oh, you're in contract for this amount and too bad for you. It's like, okay, we'll reduce your contract a little bit. And we hope that you come back, in, in, you know, after you see how it goes for the next few months and we'd love to continue helping you grow. So I think everyone really has to be just really flexible with each other right now. Richard, I don't know if you know this, but <clears throat> Jackie's LinkedIn presence is far better than you and I. She, she has like a gazillion followers on, on LinkedIn. Probably well, combined, probably yeah. better than ours combined. So we're not quite that bad. Okay. She's got us <laughs> licked by, by, by a little bit though. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about your, your social strategy in particular, your use of video, which not that you never do just text-based uh, content posts on LinkedIn, but the ones that I see more than any is, is video. Um, and you're one of the people who, who in my feed is steady and is there every single day. It's like you and Chris Walker, that those are the videos I see every single day. Can you talk a little bit there about your strategy? Like how much thought do you put into them? How much preparation? Um, and, and what like the ROI of all that stuff is? I'd love to learn more about that. Good question. I was just doing those calculations before we got on the phone. So I am well prepared to answer. Uh, we, I was just looking at, so every week I look at things like how many posts did I put up? What are high and low performing posts and why do I suspect they performed that way? Um, and then when you log it every week, you get to start seeing some themes and uh, making, making better decisions. And then I also log like direct leads from LinkedIn and then influenced leads from LinkedIn. So the leads that we're able to close that are influenced by just having my face consistently in front of these prospects while they're trying to make a decision to work with us, which helps. Um, so how do I make decisions on what to post? It's not as systematic as I think a lot of people think. Like I do plan ahead. I have a content to in advance and sometimes you do, even 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 that is more sophisticated than <laughs> than what I yeah well I mean so listen when I got started two and a half years ago I had to hire a company to meet with me every week and force me to shoot and come up with topics and all of that stuff because otherwise I never would have done it on my own mm. um you know so I hired Quentin Allums who you may know from LinkedIn yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Q the, the Milwaukee connection there Yes, he's the one that got me on LinkedIn. He was actually my first employee I ever hired in Excelity as an intern um, when he was still in college. And I hired them just because having that, like, I know that if I'm left to my own devices, I might sit on it forever and I might post once a week. That's why I have a business coach because I'm not gonna look at financials or produce any of the plans or do anything I need to do if I don't have someone there every single week saying like, where is this? You said you were going to do this. I won't show up to a meeting without having it done. And I know that about myself. So I hired them to work with me and just like, okay, what are the topics we wanna to talk about? What kinds of videos we, do we wanna shoot and et cetera. And then I ended up bringing it in house after like a year and a half or so of working with them. So yes, I do plan a few weeks ahead, but really it's more on like, what do I wanna talk about? I change up the schedule last minute, probably annoying to a number of people on my team that are helping me produce content. Um, but you know, if something's going up one day and I don't wanna talk about that topic, I'm not feeling passionate about it, I don't post it. I really want to speak to what I'm currently experiencing, if that makes but sense. How, mu how much time are we talking about? Like how many hours of, of prep, shooting, editing, that, that kind of stuff? Like, have you, I'm sure you have, but 
what, like, what's the calculate, like, what does it cost for you to do one of those videos and one of those posts? And if we put a price on your time, right? I would say the posts are fairly quick. I'm down to, I can pick up, I mean, now when COVID started, it was beautiful because we weren't doing this, these like professional shoots with mics and all that stuff that took way longer. I'm sitting here with my phone and I'm talking to it way easier. I can shoot one of those videos in five minutes. Um, We have an automatic captioning service that takes maybe 15, 20 minutes to edit each one. And then if I, I sometimes have help from an editor with copy and sometimes I write it all myself. Um, If I am writing the copy myself, I can usually write it in about 20 minutes. So, but then you think about best practices of going and making sure that you're interacting every single day that you're, I mean, that's how I met both of you is through connections on LinkedIn. Um, and then going and actually interacting with the post itself, because I don't want to be just like posting and then not never responding to anyone. So it's a it's good, a full, it's a full-time job though. When you get, you know, yeah. the amount of engagement so, that you get. How, how far in advance do you like, if, if we pulled up your calendar, is it like, okay, I've got my next four videos ready, unless something else pops up into my head. Or is it spontaneous or is it like, okay, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday from 10 to 11, I'm always recording. Like, how do you, are you that tight with your schedule? We, I have my content planned out really. So like right now I have it planned for the next two weeks and everything is shot and pretty much ready to go. Now that's not to say, sometimes I'll say, okay, I have something that I thought about, or I want to shoot a video with my kids, which is really fun, including them. And I'll shoot something kind of on a whim. Um, But yeah, usually I am doing it a few weeks in advance, but I don't have set shooting times because I want to shoot, you know, if you don't, if you're, if I'm not feeling it, like talking to my camera by myself, or if I'm not feeling like I'll be able to be concise in what I'm saying, I don't do it. So, so what, so this is my challenge, right? I try to plan stuff out and I do, I've gotten better at it, but then I plan something out and then all of a sudden I get some new idea that I feel like is timely, right? Not just that it's a new idea and I don't like my old one, but it's like, oh my God, this just happened. I should write about it. Do you, how do you balance that? Or do you just like, nope, you stick to the plan, you follow your process and it'll all come out when it needs to come out. That's where all my last minute content schedule changes come in where I'll say, you know, we have, if we have this conversation, there's something I really want to write about. I'll go and write something and say, let's push back whatever we have tomorrow. Um, We just move it to another day. So it all gets used. And frankly, I probably only shoot for three, four days a week of actual content, just thinking through my schedule and then the other days end up kind of filling themselves with things that I'm thinking about or a book that I'm reading or podcast that I listen to or whatever. Yeah. So Let's talk about the fun part of posting socially, right? The trolls, Ooh, right? Fun. <laughs> <laughs> what what kinds of trolls do you get? How do you navigate the trolls? Do you ignore them? You know, what's your what's your strategy? I don't get as much anymore. It seems like LinkedIn fixed something where I used to have just tons of comments from trolls, trolls, we can call them trolls, you know, just saying whatever comments, like you're a bimbo, you've never done anything, you know, oh, so like, just the most ridiculous stuff. I have a file somewhere of all the comments I've gotten, because I'm meaning to shoot more responding to trolls videos, but can we stop and just have you do like mean tweets like Jimmy Kimmel does, right, where you just read all your trolls? Richard, Uh Jackie reached out to me months ago. She asked me to do that too. Okay, yeah. 
and that was the idea that she had. I still think it would be a really funny idea. It'd be hilarious. It would yeah, be awesome. it, I really, I did one of those one time, and it was so fun because it's kind of like you're like taking your power back, right? You're responding to the trolls, but in a funny way. Uh, when I got started on LinkedIn, I did respond a lot. If I'm in a certain mood, I can get a little snarky with my responses and whatever. But usually, mostly, I ignore it. That's what I would tell my kids to do. I think that's probably the best practice. And frankly, I'm also not against blocking people either. I see a lot of people post on LinkedIn about how they don't block anyone and they think it hinders like open conversation. And I'm like, someone's calling me a bimbo on my post. Block. Yeah. I don't yeah. even want to deal with that. <laughs> I have gotten very liberal with the uh, block button this this year in particular richard on the other hand just he just loves to engage and have a long long conversation with these people that extend I think it's interesting right like i think it's fun and I, you know i think i'm lucky one is as a as a white male i'm not getting the bimbo comments right i'm not uh you know if i'm a person of color I, you can see the sort of what they think is subtle racism or they don't think it is, but it looks subtle. So I think I'm, you know, lucky in that regard. So, but, you know, I, I, you know, I always just sort of, you know, my latest one is to just respond with bless your heart. You know, mm -hmm. they all oh, bless your heart. Thank you for sharing your different opinion. That's, that's, so, that's, that's the Georgia fuck you. That's what, right, that's what Georgia, <laughs> you know, I, I would I even call it Georgia. I would just say Southern, but yes. Yeah. Agreed. And once you get to the point where you can say like, this trolling is not about me. It's about mm -hmm. something that's going on with this person. It's, right. it's not always easy to remember that in the moment. But mm -hmm. you know, I know that I would never be the kind of person who's leaving comments like that on someone's stuff online. And so, oh, one of my kids, I caught them leaving some comment on someone's YouTube channel about like this girl had tons of tattoos. And one of them wrote like, I don't like your tattoos. You have too many. And I was like, no, I will not raise an internet troll. And I was like, you better go delete that. And we don't say stuff like that. Like keep those opinions to yourself. I don't like that. So <laughs> talk about, talk about that for a second, right? Let's talk about parenting, right? So how, you know, did you say it just like that? Or did you, how did you say this to them? I, if you recall. Ex I explained to them what a troll is. Mm -hmm. And why I think people may do things like that and just said, you know, if you have opinions like that, I think that you should keep them to yourself because it's not worth your time or energy to be arguing with people. Mm -hmm. And also, like, would you like if someone else said that to you? No, I don't think so. Like a tattoo at that point is a permanent part of that person's body. It's something they're unlikely to change. To me, that's like commenting on any other permanent part of someone's body, just leave it alone and uh, the kids have seen some of the stuff that I deal with online too and I you know I want them to be very kind on the internet plus I restrict them pretty hard too <laughs> well tell them Uncle Richard will pay for the first tattoo just so you know Scott, <laughs> so I've already told Scott and Janet that about Braden and Caleb so you know when they want the first tattoo I'll pay for it so uh Jackie uh, one of the, the interesting things about the trolls and the negative comments and stuff is they come out at least for me they come out when you express like a slightly not even controversial like a slightly differing opinion that it's a, to be expected a little bit if you say something outspoken like you know i i made a post around george floyd <clears throat> i expected all sorts of 
all sorts of heat. And mm -hmm. I got all sorts of heat for that. But you had one uh, that resurfaced for me that you, you posted about a year ago, which is, I'll read the first part of it. It says, don't quit your job to do what you love. Do you remember this? You have yeah. it pinned on your, on your featured section. Yeah. And you say you hate the whole do what you love trend. So I haven't read through all the all those comments, but that's the type of post that the hate seems to come out for now mm -hmm. more than it used to. So <clears throat> how do you deal with those people who are who are disagreeing with you, but it starts to go toe the line towards hate? And how do you not turn off, but rather encourage like healthy disagreement and, and dialogue on, on some of the content that you produce? Yeah, I had a lot of that with around, you know, the time that everything with George Floyd happened and I was fairly vocal about it a little bit on LinkedIn, but more on other platforms. Uh, and there were a lot of comments about, you know, like me being a white woman and me not knowing whatever and me having a savior complex and and those I was very careful to just like have an open dialogue with like ask for clarity state my intent ask them how I could approach it better next time or whatever because I think you can often turn these things especially when you know like I know that I don't know anywhere close to everything about that topic would love to learn from some of these people, even if they're delivering messages to me in a way that I typically would not like to receive them. Um, but that said, you know, on some, when it toes the line and it gets really disrespectful, then, you know, I'm not going to engage or block. Uh, for example, I had a post where a woman got very upset with me about what I had posted. And then I think she saw an opportunity to bring an audience to her page. So she started posting on her page, basically roasting me and asking me to come and comment about it. And this happens quite a bit where I didn't engage in that. I, I tried to explain my intent and have a logical conversation with her. She didn't want anything to do with it. And then after I blocked her, she went and did the same thing on Facebook and tagged me. And then I blocked her there and then did it on Twitter. And I was like, this is going too far. Yeah, that's, like, that's like stalker level. I know. But it was a lot to deal with at the time, but now it's like, now it's a good story. I don't know. <laughs> so I try to keep it fairly polite at all times. Hmm. Let's pivot a little bit into, uh, I want to learn more about like your sales tactics and how you go about structuring things. And here's why 2020 was sort of the year of the side hustle when the side hustle went to main hustle and went mainstream and everybody's got these side hustles now. And, uh, you know, my buddy Justin is every day, all he does is post like two quick hot tips on how to build your own business and things like that. Justin here's, Welsh. The, here's some of the, yeah, here's the, here's the questions that, uh, that I have for you. It's like, how do you prospect as an entrepreneur when you're building your business while juggling the work that you have to do? How do you sort out how to price yourself, you know, not devalue yourself, not overshoot the landing and put the price tag too high? How do you raise prices? Can you talk about some of that stuff in particular when you're first getting started and how that journey like evolves? I think I made mistakes in every single area that you just named and that's how I figured it out basically. So <laughs> I mean, uh, well, what I, are the I mistakes? Think, let's tell people the yeah. mistakes. Then. 
For sure. Well, there's a common mistake that everyone makes when they're getting started, which is you sell, 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 you go out there and prospect. I mean, I was doing ridiculous things to try to earn money when I was getting started. Like I was reaching out to every single person I had ever met, which is not ridiculous, but I was scouring job boards, asking people if they needed help in the interim. I was asking people for introductions. I was cold calling. I was doing tons of different things really just to try to get any opportunity because I was I was 27 years old and I was like, I don't even know if I feeling a lot of imposter syndrome. Like, I don't even know if I have what it takes to start this company. And I was just trying to get my foot in the door any way possible. Um, but where I think people make the mistake is you might go through and do all of that work to get started. But then once you have the, the customers or the clients on board, then you get into service mode because it's just you. And then you end the project or whatever it looks like. And then you don't have any more money. And it's like, yeah. oh, I didn't sell anything. Um, I made that mistake to start, but I realized pretty quickly that I needed to start outsourcing parts of the process, be it you know, or I'll tell you how I approach that in order to not go through that, like, the roller you know, coaster. That, the, yeah, yeah. And it's a cycle that I think puts a lot of new businesses out of business when you get started, if you're the one doing the selling and the servicing. So what I did was looked at pretty much everything I thought I needed to do to start a business. And then I figured out where my time would be most spent or most well spent. And so at some, at some or at this point, I start to look to outsource the sales and they want someone to sell for them. I always thought that it would be best coming from me if I was going to be the, the face and the person selling on my experience. And so I started to outsource some of the other pieces like the account management, the copywriting, the design, and frankly, stuff that I wasn't great at anyway, you know, like I could do all of that, but I wasn't excellent at every single piece. I don't think everyone is. Um, so I think I'm pretty lucky that I figured that out fairly quickly. But you, you kept the, the selling in your own hands, your own control. I did. I actually, so from zero to a million pretty much in revenue, which took us about five years to get there. That was all me. Now, I think if I had brought in someone to help me with generating leads, like the sales process itself, I can run with my eyes closed at this point, but the generating leads piece, I was not being aggressive enough. And I think a lot of people are not aggressive enough. If I had brought someone in to help me with that piece, I think we would have gotten there faster. Is there is So when you say you weren't aggressive enough, do you just mean like you should have outsourced it sooner maybe and, and um, like gotten more, more help in other parts of your, your business so you could have gone after it? Or should you have spent more money sooner or all of the above? What is it? What does that mean exactly? Be more aggressive. I should have brought someone in to help me generate leads and realize that I wasn't as good at it as I thought I was. Marketing leads, I can generate all day. However, I still had that, you know, the, the same issue that a lot of people in sales have where you feel like you're bothering people and you're not being valuable enough when you're following up. Like some of the emails that I get where it's like, hey, just checking in. I'm like, oh shit, I was sending those five years ago and they don't work and I'm just here deleting them now, right? And so you learn a lot. Um, but I started building a sales team a year and a half or so ago and now it's moving a lot faster, which is very mm. helpful. <laughs> you, you've mentioned imposter syndrome once or twice now. <clears throat> how, do you, how do you deal with that when you're trying to price your services out? 
right? Like I'm, I'll use an exaggeration, a big, big exaggeration here, but like Jackie's first getting started, it's like eight years ago. It's like my services are, you know, a hundred dollars or whatever. And now they're 10,000, right? Like how do you plant a flag and come upon this particular dollar amount? And then how do you justify and get over the imposter syndrome and start raising the prices and, and or does that imposter syndrome ever go away or has it gone away for you? It doesn't go away for me. I have it all the time. I, so I have it seriously yeah. every single day. Even yeah. coming on this podcast, I was like, okay, this is a sales podcast. I'm not in the day-to-day selling anymore. Was I good at sales even? Should I be on this podcast? Like before we got on this call, it really, it literally never goes away. Um, the pricing piece, I mean, I learned because I made mistakes. I started too low. Some of our clients are still with us and we would have, have had to price increase them over and over and over again. And I will say the best clients that really appreciate the work that you're doing for them, they are usually okay with the price increases. As long as it's reasonable, you're backing it with data, um, both on what the market demands right now and what you've done for them over the time that you've worked together. Um, you should be able to state all of that value and have them say, okay, a 10% price increase or whatever it is, is, is fine with me. But God, I think I was charging like $50 an hour when I got started, which is way too low. <laughs> It's, I, I have this, I had the same issue too, where, and I thought like the number I was doing, I was like, oh, wow, this is more than what I used to get paid. But then I realized I didn't have it steady mm-hmm. all the time. So in reality, it's not. And so, you know, my advice to people has been understand what the market is, know your market rate. And I, and this, and this is what I grew into is I kept it about 10 to 15% lower than the market rate because I was still, I didn't have enough logos and I didn't have enough stories, mm-hmm. right? And I wanted to make sure I had the customer success stories and the logos and all those things. And, um, but, and it, and it helped where I would, you know, I could undercut somebody, um, but I also still lost the people, right? Which then told me that that's, as soon as I started losing and I was underpriced, that meant I knew that my value was worth more which is kind of counterintuitive. You're like, well, I guess I have to keep my price low. No, no, no. It means you were in the game and you your lower pricing may have hurt you. At least that's how I, you know, Jedi mind tricked myself into this. So I think you're um, totally right though, because when you're competing with someone who charges $50, $100 more than you an hour, it's like, well, why are they so much more expensive? And is the quality that much better? And when the budget and it's never, is there, It rarely is, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, I mean, it's been a big old learning process. Now we've we've structured our prices in tiers. So people that have more mm-hmm. money um, are, and are able to pay more, pay more. And when mm-hmm. we're working with the startups who are just getting started or just raised their first million or whatever it is, then we have special pricing for them too. Yeah, and that, that's what we, as we started selling sponsorships here, that's what we did too, is sort of packaged it out. For those who want to be a part of it, they can. I want to I change topics also. Um, what, you know, for me, these are always the fun stories. What were you like as a kid? Were you hyper-competitive? Were you always hustling with some kind of business? Were you sports? Were you the neighborhood leader of all the whatever games were going on? Like, what, what was Jackie like? All of the above, no. <laughs> um, hyper competitive, insanely. 
day I compete in every single thing in life and it's good and it's not good in some situations. Um, I think you guys probably know how that goes. What else? Let's see. I was the the ringleader of the neighborhood in the like street hockey arena. I always played with boys. Um, I was never big into, I don't know, like not to like put gender norms on it, but it was all the boys that were out playing street hockey. And frankly, I was taller than them because girls grow faster and I was able to get out there and whoop their butts in hockey and it was really fun. Um, and then when they grew, they started beating me up. But that, I mean, that was me as a kid. I was kind of like out exploring in the woods, doing whatever. I wasn't hustling with a business always, but I did always want to make money, right? So I started like babysitting, going door to door, selling certain things. But looking back, I see myself as entrepreneurial as a kid, but I didn't think that when I entered, you know, like a professional career. If you look back, what was, what was your favorite entrepreneurial memory as a kid? Hmm. I mean, I don't have a specific story, but I just always wanted to have money. Like I've always had this desire my entire life to be able to do whatever I want to do and earn money however I can to get there. Um, So even like in high school, the, the, the day I turned old enough to be able to get a job, I went and got a job. When I went to college, I was always working three jobs and all my friends were always complaining about how broke they were. And I was like, I have money because I always wanted to, I've always had this like strong desire for financial freedom. And I mean, I wouldn't say I have full financial freedom right now, but I'm getting a lot closer and it's pretty exciting just because I'm always looking at how to hustle. Were were your parents in business? Is that where you learned it? No, uh, I don't know. I'm not really positive where it came from. I remember my dad tried to produce like a a lawn care product when I was little. And I remember him like doing photo shoots with my mom, like spraying weeds in the front yard. Um, But he didn't get it off the ground. So he was an air traffic controller and she is a hairstylist. So no, I wouldn't say that's where it came from. (laughs) What, um, you said you're going to start to diversify your business because of this year, right? Mm-hmm. What would, I mean, not that I want you to make some announcement. Uh, if you want to, you can, but what does that mean for you? Like, because I think a lot of people had to do this. It was like this total oh shit moment. And it kind of went back to product market fit almost monthly, April, May, and June. And now we're sort of looking at it quarterly. Like, I feel like there's going to be, you know, there's going to be three parts of 2021. There's going to be Q1 then Q2, and then the latter half of the year, right? Like that's sort of how I see people doing things. What kind of things sort of made you want to start doing that? And where was, more importantly, where was your imposter syndrome in there? Because like to change your business after seven years, that can be scary. Mm-hmm. I think that I'm lucky in that we have instilled a culture of change in in Excelity. So we're looking at our services and where we're falling short or what opportunities might exist in both like who we're serving and our the services that we're delivering pretty much constantly coming up with new ideas. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts and read a lot. And so my team fields a lot of ideas for me and, and I'm very grateful to them for all the work that they do with that. As far as diversifying, 
well, our friend Justin Welsh has convinced me to start creating a course after I'm seeing his marketing of him making $16,000 in four days on, you know, like pre-sales of his course and paying his mortgage and all that good stuff. I'm like, I've been thinking about doing stuff like that for a long time, but I never felt like I had valuable enough information. And that's the imposter syndrome. I didn't want to get out there and start speaking on topics before I thought that I had really like earned the right to do so. Yeah. And then, and getting rid of that distance, the amount of time there that it takes you to actually take action from those ideas. That's the key to really Mm -hmm. set yourself apart. And you don't, you don't actually, this is a little like secret sauce, but like you don't actually have to do that much in order to earn some significant side hustle kind of money, right? It's not actually that hard. You know, Justin has been around long enough, just like all of us have, that we have God knows how many old sales trainings and marketing trainings and leadership trainings. Like, you know, you could spend a few hours just kind of copy pasting and putting things together and be like, voila, I've got a, I've got a course. And it might not make you rich, but can you make five figures off of it over the course of a year? Yeah, you probably could. Yeah. And, uh, you know, extra $1,000, $1,500 a month. That's not a bad thing. It's not that, mm-hmm. not that complicated, you know? So. I also think once you start, that's where your creativity comes in, right? Like if you take some of these theories, right? And you get it. I, 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 right. I have more side hustles than I can keep track of at this point in time. You know? Yeah, I, I love it. And for, for my company, we put out so dang much content. It's like we could package six courses out of all of this content we are creating and giving away totally for free, be it video or guides or blogs or whatever. Um, and so there's a huge opportunity, I think, when we meet with companies that aren't quite ready to work for us to kind of put them in or work with us, to put them in that funnel via a course and kind of tell them like, here's how we do what we do. Feel free to go do it. And when you want to do it on a larger scale or you don't have time to. So it's just, I'm watching Justin and I'm just like kicking myself. Like, why have I not done this yet? And it's because of that imposter syndrome, but it's all rolling now. And there are a few other things that I'm thinking on too. Um, Like, I think I'm going to start doing a little bit of consulting as well, where I'm so in just running my business that I don't get to do the, the strategy with companies anymore and I miss it. And so yeah. just taking on a few clients I'm really excited about. Um, and then I'm looking at my own personal income and like, you know, how can I diversify there outside of the company too? Good for you. Well, we, we got to wrap up here and we want to thank Gong and Vidyard and Lead411 for all their support during the month of, uh, of December. And we like to end every show, Jackie, by saying, how can we help you? Do you have any questions for us? Is there any cause that you're passionate about that you want to spend a moment kind of shouting out? Um, so we give you a chance here to turn the tables on us a little bit. Yeah, I would say a cause that I'm passionate about is fostering and your local foster care system. So if there's anything you can do right now, um, I don't think people realize that kids come into foster care with nothing and they need so much. Um, Two of my kids are adopted from foster care. And sometimes you will get a kid to foster that has the clothes on their back and that's it. So anyone that I know 2020 is not a year of tons of extra income, but anyone that can donate either time or clothes or whatever it may be to your local fostering system, I would love that. Is there a particular organization 
that you uh, respect and, and people could check out? Yeah, locally, um, both CNEs and Children's Hospital of Wisconsin um, in, in my area, and then nationally, I'm not sure, but uh, foster care is a little segmented where there are different organizations running it in pretty much every city. That's great. Kudos to you practicing what you, uh, what you preach there. Thank you. Um, <laughs> well, thank, thanks so much Ross, for He's done the same thing. So, really? Yeah. Oh, he's done like, I think he's fostered six or seven, seven. kids. Yeah. Seven. yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's really knee deep in it. Yeah. Amazing. So uh, well, thank, thank you, you for so doing it. Really yes. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate both of you. And it's a thanks, great Thanks, Jackie. It was a lot of fun. Thanks.